And I'm reading from verse 14, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, "Ah, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We've, uh, we've started a new series which we are calling uh, Extreme Makeover. And uh, we're looking at the, uh, the book of James, and uh, we're working uh, through the book of James, chapter by chapter. James chapter 1 we looked at last week, James chapter 2 this week, uh, James 3, James 4, and James 5, and so on. And it, it might be helpful uh, if during the course of the week uh, that you read these chapters so that when you come to church, uh, you've already got in mind uh, God's word that we're going to be looking at that might be helpful to you and uh, give you a pattern uh, for your daily and weekly study of the Bible. Um, last week we were looking at the ears and uh, we said that uh, if uh, Jesus was going to do a makeover on our ears uh, that he'd give us all big ears just like Gary Lineker <laughs> so that we could hear what God was saying and that we could hear uh, what other people around us were saying and uh, respond uh, to that. So this week we, uh, we're continuing the extreme makeover. Um, Walter Brueggemann in his book inscribing the text uh, says this, did you know that almost all TV adverts follow the same simple dramatic format? You have a headache and then you feel good and the difference is aspirin. You are lonely and then you have friends, and the difference is beer. Did you know that this simple, dramatic format is borrowed from the Bible? Once I was lost, and now I am found, and the difference is the gospel. Once I was blind, and now I see, and the difference is Jesus. And uh, what he's saying is that uh, 
is that in the gospel, this is what it's about. It's about change. It is about Jesus doing a, a makeover on our lives. So we say, before we were like this, but now we are like that. And the difference is Jesus. And just as when we go, uh, when some of you go for a, a makeover, and you visit the beautician, and uh, you perhaps go go in uh, feeling pretty down and not feeling not very beautiful, and you come out uh, looking absolutely wonderful and beautiful and feeling marvellous about yourself, uh, that's the difference that a physical makeover can make. Uh, we're saying that a spiritual makeover can make even more difference in our lives, and this is what we're about. Uh, in the church, we're about transforming people's lives. That's the business we're in. We're, trying, we're wanting to transform people's lives. We're wanting to do uh, a makeover on people's lives. So as we carry on this week, we're thinking about hands. And again, if uh, I'm sure some of you uh, take very good care of your hands. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you went to uh, uh, a beautician, and I'm sure they would give you uh, uh, hands a lovely soak and make them as clean as possible, give you nails, a, a manicure, so that they look great. Uh, but as we look at James, I think Jesus would do something quite different uh, with our hands. I think Jesus actually wants us to have dirty hands. He wants us to get our hands dirty. James speaks about the... Uh, importance of what we do. It's interesting, in, in the church, very often, um, what we do is, is, we, is we concentrate on what we believe, don't we? And uh, we make words really important, and, and they are. Uh, but very often, you know, what we do is, is we describe uh, someone's a, a Christian because they have said, you know, I accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And we make a, a huge play about, you know, what people believe. You know, we very often make judgments about people, don't we? Uh, James, uh, in the earlier part of chapter 2, was talking about uh, the importance of not judging people. He talked about the fact that a, a rich person enters the synagogue and a, and a poor person enters the synagogue. And not to, to make judgments and offer the rich person the best place and leave the poor man uh, sat around at the back somewhere. And so often we make judgments about people about what they believe. You know, we say that person's kosher. Uh, because their beliefs fit in with our beliefs. Because, of course, we believe what is right, and so we want other people to, to fit in with what we believe. And, and very often what we do is, is we focus so much on, on what people believe, and, and we study the Bible, which is great, and I'm all for that, and would encourage that. Uh, but James reminds us that what we believe in our faith is absolutely useless if it doesn't transform the way that we live. If it doesn't make a difference in the way that we treat one another and treat people outside the church. And James says three times in this short passage at the end of chapter 2, you know, that, uh, that faith, if not accomplished by actions, is dead, is useless, is worthless. James wants us to get that message this morning. And so we're thinking about getting our hands dirty. We're thinking about our hands. And the first thing that I want to say out of James chapter 2 is that we are to have helping hands. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 
And of course he's, he's asking the question and he's expecting a resounding answer saying, no good at all. No good at all. And uh, I was interested to notice in this week's Baptist Times, uh, the cartoon on the back page of the Baptist Times, I don't know if you can read that, but uh, it's, a, it's a picture of a, a beggar and somebody walking by and the beggar saying, excuse me, do you have some money for food? And the guy says, I love you. And the beggar says, thank you, any spare change would help. And the guy says, God loves you. He says, that's very kind, not even some leftover food. And the guy says, I will pray for you. And the beggar says, maybe pray for a sandwich. <laughs> uh, an illustration taken, again, about actions and words, taken right from James chapter 2. And uh, this is a hard truth, you know, because again, we in, in the church, we, we give a great importance to prayer. And rightly so, and we say, you know, it's good for us to pray for people. Um, but there is a danger that sometimes what happens uh, is we pray for people, and if we're praying for people in need, actually our prayers can result in the exact opposite happening. Because if we don't do anything to help these people, but we just pray for them, what happens is we feel better about ourselves because we think, well, we've prayed for that person, we've brought them to God. And, uh, but if we haven't done anything, the person's situation doesn't change. And James is challenging his hearers that faith, that prayer, that belief has to be lived out in our lives. It has to make a difference. Of course, it's good to pray for people and we encourage people to pray for people and we have prayer meetings and we always are praying for people. But if, that, if our prayers don't actually lead us into action, then what we're basically saying is, uh, you know, we're praying to God and we're expecting God to do all the work. And of course, God does transform people's lives. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it is God that transforms people's lives. But he expects us to work with him. Um, lives won't be transformed if we don't tell people about God, if we don't uh, get alongside people and, uh, and help them to understand, but also help them physically uh, where there are needs. And uh, so often, um, people uh, are willing to pray, but James wants us to get our hands dirty. So we are to offer helping hands. Helping hands. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Word Made Flesh, Again, picking up on our text for the year, talking about the Lord's Prayer. He says, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, it expresses the fundamental practicality, the here-ness and now-ness that is involved in every prayer we pray. Prayer is not an escape from what is going on around us. It is a gusty participation in every earthly detail. So when we pray, you know, on earth as it is in heaven... Um, we are partly responsible for bringing a bit of heaven. You know, in 2011 we've said we want to bring a little bit of heaven to the Rossendale Valley. In 2011, let's bring a little bit of heaven. So we're to offer helping hands. And James is challenging people to prove their faith. He's saying, in other words, if you know it, show it. Let's say that together. If you know it, show it. Just say that little phrase. I nick that from Rick Warren. He's, he's always got little rhymes for things. And, uh, but it's quite helpful really, isn't it? Because, you see, part of the problem is, is that we spend a lot of our time in this world trying to fit in. 
I've mentioned before in, in talking about, you know, the makeover, uh, you know, my two daughters are, are teenagers now, and teenage daughters, some of you have had them, and you know what it's all about. And uh, makeup is so important, but the irony is, is they spend ages uh, making themselves up to look exactly the same as everybody else. Because they want to fit in, they want to blend in, they actually don't want to stand out. And the danger as Christians is what we do is we've picked up this message from childhood that we want to fit in, that we want to be the same as everybody else, and we don't want to stand out. And as Christians, we ought to stand out. We ought to be radically and totally different from our non-believing neighbours and friends. Jesus should shine through us so people say, you know, what's so different about that person? And we say the difference is... Jesus, somebody's with me, thank you. (laughs) The difference is Jesus. If you know it, show it, let it shine through. This is what James is saying. That, you know, our faith is so important. And what we believe is really important. But if it doesn't make any difference to the way that we live, then we're fooling ourselves. You know, at the beginning of the year, lots of people make New Year's resolutions. Anybody made a New Year's resolution? Lots of people, you might want to admit it, lots of people make New Year's resolutions, you know, about their their size or their weight, they decide to go on diets. Uh, you know, people that are in the diet industry, New Year's the time for the, uh, to, to, to plug all the new diets. Uh, you know, and I can say, you know, well, I, I'm going to do something about my physical appearance. I've, I've put on a, a, a few pounds since I've stopped playing football. Uh, you know, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, to, to lead a much more healthy uh, life. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you know, healthy diet is really important. But if I carry on eating fish and chips every night and do no exercise, what I say, the words that I speak are, are useless, they're worthless. And then I actually put them into action. And this is what James is saying, and he says it again and again because he wants to get the message through, that our faith, if it isn't accompanied by actions, is worthless. And so we are to offer helping hands to people. When we see people in need, yes we pray for them, but we also respond if we can to help them and offering those helping hands. And one of the challenges for us is to say, you know, how can we help the people of Lum? How can we help the people of Rossendale Valley? What can we do as a church to actually be a help to our local community? How can we show that our faith isn't just about gathering together on a Sunday morning and worshipping God and singing the songs and listening to scripture being interpreted and attending Bible studies and prayer meetings? All these things are great. As long as they actually result in changing us and transforming the community that we live in. I went to the mainstream conference this week, spent three days uh, in worship and prayer and, and listening to God's word expounded. It was great, you know, it was like a taste of heaven. I had a wonderful time and, uh, you know, we can do that, we can have a wonderful time. But for some Christians, that's the totality of their Christianity. It's having a wonderful time with God. It's, it's loving being with God's people, which is great. It's loving hearing God's words being expounded, which again is great. It's loving being in prayer meetings and worshipping God. But if it doesn't make any difference to the way that we live and the way that we treat our neighbours and the way that we respond to people who are in need, then our faith is just a, a thing in our head. And it's not affecting the way that we live. When you look at Jesus uh, he transformed people's lives. In the Gospels, when people met Jesus, they could say, you know, I was once blind, but now I can see. 
their lives were totally transformed. So helping hands is what we is what we offer to our local community, and it's an expression of our faith in God. And then holding hands. When was the last time you held somebody's hand? <laughs> Why don't you just grab hold of your neighbour's hand if they don't mind and just hold their hand? Just have that physical contact. You know, it's the sort of things that uh, that people do when they first fall in love, isn't it? They walk down the street holding hands together. And uh, it's great, isn't it? It's great. And, uh, and one of the things, you don't need to carry on holding hands. I don't want to embarrass you, you know. <laughs> but for some people, you know, the, the reality is, you know, physical touch is important. You know, and there will be some people that come to church and that might be the only physical touch they get all week. Because if you live alone and uh, you haven't got family around, you know, physical touch uh, is so important. It's so important. And you, you notice where uh, Jesus, uh, when he ministered to people, very often he touched them. He touched the lepers who nobody else would touch. He touched the outcasts and the sinners. He touched the untouchable. And there's lots of people in our society and in our world who are longing just for somebody to give them a hug. You know, longing just for somebody to embrace them. I was interested to read an article in the Baptist Times by Paul Beasley Murray. Uh, he's just celebrated 40 years in ministry. And he was talking about whether it's appropriate to, to kiss somebody or not. You know, Paul says, greet one another with a, with a heavenly kiss. And he, he thought only on Christmas Day. So, uh, you may want to take that advice or not. But you know, it's good to greet one another. And again, James, when he's talking um, about faith and deeds and, and holding hands, he gives us the, uh, the example of, of Abraham. And again, a man of faith. A man who was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. It wasn't that he just believed in God. He believed in God so much that he was prepared to be obedient to God, even when God suggested that he should offer his own son Isaac as a sacrifice. His belief in God was carried out through the actions. His faith was made complete in what he did. Abraham acted out in this way because of his belief in God, because he trusted God completely. And James reminds us that Abraham believed God and it was a credit to him as righteous and he was called God's friends. So we are to have holding hands. We are to hold on to what God has said and we are to walk hand in hand with God. That's what Abraham did. He walked with God hand in hand. And because we're walking hand in hand in God, with God, we can also offer the hand of God's friendship to one another. You know, we greet one another in a very British way, don't we? We, we shake hands, that's what we do. Uh, and some of us go a bit further and we embrace. But it's good to just offer that hand of friendship and to be able to bless one another through that. So we offer holding hands as Abraham did. Of course, um, I don't know if any of you have come across uh, FaithWorks organisation. It's part of uh, Oasis. And uh, again, Abraham, an example of someone whose, whose faith worked. 
And uh, this is what faith works, this is how they describe their movements. It says, faith works is a movement of thousands of individuals, churches and organisations motivated by their Christian faith to serve the needs of their local communities and positively influence society as a whole. Add your voice to thousands more and tell how your faith works. You see, we are to work out our faith in our daily lives. In the place where we work, in the place where we live, in the place where we socialise. Our faith has to impact every area of our lives. And uh, holding hands with God, we can reach out to other people and hold their hands. And it's something that we do, isn't it? When we want to, when we want to comfort people, sometimes we just embrace people, don't we? And uh, we're offering in that embrace, uh, not just ourselves, but something of God. Of course, in this uh, passage, we uh, alluded it to, it to it last week, uh, when we're thinking about James uh, chapter 2. We talked about the fact that Martin Luther uh, called it an epistle of straw. And of course, uh, Martin Luther was the great uh, leader of the uh, Reformation. And uh, he was, he, his life was transformed by reading Paul's idea that we are justified by faith. And so when uh, he wrote things like this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works. And of course, uh, James says you see a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. And there's been a, a controversy about whether James and Paul were saying two completely different things. But of course, if you read Paul and you read James side by side, you'll realise that they're not saying two completely different things at all. That Paul, in his uh, letters to the Romans and Ephesians and all the others, would have been exactly with James in, in talking about you know the fact that our faith has to be lived out. It has to be transformed. Paul, of all people, his life was transformed... By meeting Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he was a persecutor of the faith. After he met Jesus, he was a defender of the faith. His life was totally transformed. And uh, Paul, of course, is, uh, is speaking very much when he talks about not by works. It was in the same line as Jesus uh, talking to the Pharisees who, who knew the law inside out. And thought that they could be saved uh, by knowing the law. And they made life miserable for people because people couldn't keep the whole of the law. And, uh, and Paul is saying, you're not saved by the law, it's faith in God. And all James is saying is, is if that faith is real, there has to be an expression of it in our lives. Our lives have to be different. Our lives have to be seen to be different. People ought to be saying, you know, there's something about that person, I can't quite put my hand on it, but something about that person that makes them different. They're much kinder. They're much more compassionate. Uh, they don't get angry with people. They don't seem to, 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 to want to hit back when somebody uh, attacks them. There's something about that person that is different. And so... Um, don't worry about the controversy. It's, it's an interesting thing to get into. But again, as Christians, sometimes, you know, we could have spent the whole morning. Uh, and as I was kind of researching this sermon, you know, everywhere you look at, there's, there's, there's reams and reams of stuff written about it. We could have spent the whole morning thinking about the difference between what James said and what Paul says. And it's interesting. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. But really, um, we do too much of that sometimes in church and the problem is is we spend so much time talking and speaking and praying that sometimes we never actually get to the point of doing and in a sense you know James was well before Nike because he was just saying just do it 
That's what James was saying. Just do it. Live out your faith. Demonstrate your faith by how you live. Show that Jesus has changed your life. If you know it, show it. And so, uh, we're holding hands. Helping hands, holding hands. And then finally, uh, healing hands. James' next example of someone whose faith and actions were working together is Rahab the prostitute. He uses extreme examples, James, doesn't he? You know, Abraham, the great father of the faith, and, uh, and Rahab, who wasn't a Jew, she was a Gentile, and she was a prostitute, a sinner. And he holds both these people up as examples of people whose faith in God was expressed through the way that they lived and the way that they dealt with other people. And of course, Rahab is famous uh, for offering um, a, a home and opening up a home to the spies and uh, saving their lives by her actions. Her faith, again, like Abraham's faith, was made complete by what she did. And one of the ways which we can demonstrate faith is by offering healing hands. And this is where, you know, when we pray for people, sometimes it's appropriate that we actually lay our hands on people. And uh, just as Rahab's actions uh, actually made a difference, actually saved their lives, uh, sometimes God does that work. Whenever I'm talking about healing, I almost uh, feel, and uh, some of you... uh, won't like this a little bit. But I always need to mention, you know, uh, we've got to be careful when we're laying hands on people in what we say. Because too many Christians uh, make promises of healings that aren't ours to make. Uh, whenever I say anything like this, you know, someone always comes up to me with a wonderful story of how God has miraculously healed somebody. But I, I'm not saying, I will always lay, I'm very happy to lay hands on people and pray for people. Uh, but it's a mystery to me, prayer. Being a Christian, uh, for 25, no, 20, well, 20, a long, long time, a long time. Uh, I've got a birthday coming up and I'm, I'm a lot nearer to 50 than I am 40. And I became a Christian when I was 20, so it's nearly 30 years if I do my maths correctly. Um, and I've got to be honest, in those 30 years I've not seen many miracles. I know people will come and say, I've seen loads of miracles. But the miracles by their very nature are quite rare occurrences. We pray for people and uh, we hope that prayer will change people. Uh, we can't promise people that they will be healed. I've been to too many meetings where, where people, if they haven't promised it outright, there's been a suggestion in the testimonies that have been told that all you've got to do is come out and you will be healed. And I've seen so many people left disappointed and even destroyed and it's actually ruined their faith because healing hasn't come. It's a mystery. Uh, God does sometimes seem to miraculously heal people but dare I say, dare I say, more often than not, people who are seriously ill, people who have life-threatening diseases and conditionings, don't very often get better. That doesn't stop us praying for them. And, it, you know, some people say, oh, Richard, you're lacking in faith. You're a minister of the gospel. How can you say such things? I'm being honest. You see, what James is, is looking for is an honest faith, a real faith that's lived out. And we don't do God any credit. Uh, one of the speakers at uh, the, the mainstream conference, a great guy, Carl Beach, if you ever get a chance to, to, to hear him speak. And he had some wonderful stories and, and testimonies of miraculous encounters. But he said he was really challenged by God about exaggerating. 
Because, you know, whenever we tell a story, uh, you know, very often we exaggerate it, don't we, to make it, you know, more, a little bit more humorous. Uh, and sometimes we exaggerate it to, uh, to, to make things seem actually better than they were. And we don't do God any favours when we do that. And he said he was really challenged about the fact that sometimes he exaggerated uh, things of God and made them seem bigger than they actually were. And he said God really spoke to him about that because he wasn't being honest. And uh, sometimes we're less than honest with people. And the result isn't, isn't that their faith is increased. It is that it's decreased. People are left hurt and wounded. Of course, uh, the difficulty, and it is a difficulty, when Jesus went round and lay hands on people, they were always healed. And again, we've got to say, you know, we can't do that because we're not Jesus. And there is a difficulty because when we come to the gospel, we read of all these miraculous healings and we are encouraged and we think, well, you know, let's try that. And I'm not saying don't pray for people. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying this morning. I'm not saying don't pray for people that are ill. Don't pray for people that are sick. Don't pray for people that are hurting. I'm not saying that God cannot transform people's lives. I'm just saying, let's be honest. Let's be real in our faith. And let's tell it as it is. Not as we would like it to be, or as it will one day be in heaven, when there won't be any pain and illness. We sang it in that song, when all suffering will end. We live this side of heaven. We pray, you know, God please, on earth as it is in heaven, but very often on earth it isn't like it is in heaven. There is sin, there is sickness, there's all sorts of horrible and nasty things. And our, 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 our aim as a church, our mission as a church is to be part of God's hands at work in this world. And yes, we offer healing hands. We offer prayer for people. We lay hands on people. And we pray that God will transform people. And uh, we've introduced a a new thing where, you know, uh, we've got a team of people who are willing to pray for you after every service. All you've got to do is come and sit on on one of the front rows. And there'll be people that are very happy, you know, to come and pray with you and lay hands on you. and, uh, And seek God together. Because that's what we do. We offer healing hands. And of course, this is what Jesus did. And we see in the picture, so often Jesus actually touched people. He laid hands on people. And uh, he made people well. So there we have it. Um, James chapter 2. This is what we are to do with our hands. We are to help people. We are to offer that help to people. When we see people struggling, get alongside them, James says. Do something about the fact that they haven't got any food, that they haven't got any shelter. Uh, We are to have a holding hands. Get alongside people and hold their hand and walk with them. And uh, there are people in our fellowship that we know uh, will appreciate that at the moment. And then we are to offer healing hands. We pray that God will transform people's lives.